Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection, resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name and allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights unreachable to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service to your divine arms. Guide them with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
So before we continue to submerge into the depths of our inheritance in Jesus Christ, the unchanging epigraph of our study of the Word of God is Luke 24:44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And for us, as partakers of the body of Christ, to share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about him in Scripture, we shall continue our study of our collaboration with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, what is necessary to be done from our side, so we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life and put on the new way of life. Ephesians 4:22 through 24 that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness and to fulfill this command 
As we know, we need to utilize three charging and fundamental verbs. These are to put off, be renewed, and put on, and to confirm the given promise, which in status is a required commandment as well as our purpose. We will read another place of scripture where the same author, in a bit of a different format, speaks of the same truth, calling us to take off the old man with his deeds so we can after put on the new man. This is written in Colossians 3, 8 through 14. But you now yourselves to put, are to put off anger, ralith, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. We've noted that your decision regarding these three destiny-affecting actions to put off, be renewed, and put on will determine whether you transform yourself into a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath. Or more specifically, will the accomplishing of our salvation come to pass that is given to us in the format of a guarantee, or will we lose it forever in, and in result our names be forever blotted out of the book of life? although they may have been written there at one time. In a specific format, we have already looked at the first two questions and have been studying the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we begin the process of dressing ourselves into the power of our new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. And when we speak of clothing ourselves into the power of our new person that contains the power of the resurrection of Christ in the all-armor of light, we've concluded that we need God's help in the form of His redeeming mercy. The means of receiving any kind of help in the form of the inheritance of the mercies of God is weaponry of prayer or worship in spirit and in truth, since prayer isn't just a man's means of communicating with God, but also a kind of legal and sacral right that man gives heaven, a tool that activates the given law of God. Man gives heaven this right so that heaven may intervene upon the territory of earth. Relevant here is one of the prayers of David, written in the 143rd Psalm. This psalm very clearly opens for us the conditions, the grounds upon which a person is called to prepare a legal foundation for God, so that God would intervene with his mercy into our life, intervene also within the boundaries of, of which we carry our responsibility before God. This has become the subject of our study. Let us submerge again into this prayer. Psalm 143, 1-12 Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. For the enemy has persecuted my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have long been dead. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the works of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My lo soul longs for you like a thirsty land. 
Answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. For David, as well as for us, to hear the mercy of God early, we, like David, need to present to God legal grounds or a particular right for him to be able to intervene into our life. And such evidence in this prayer, as we already know, were ten unique in their nature arguments, identifying the right to enter the presence of God, founded upon the laws of God, which is also the word of God that comes out of his mouth. This word God has magnified above all his name, and this word he willingly submits to. Specifically, these ruling and mighty words of God converted into promises and commandments for man, David presented to God as the consistency of his heart, saying to God, Hear me in your faithfulness and your righteousness. Hear me because I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. Hear me because I spread out my hands to you. Hear me, for in you do I trust. Hear me, because I lift up my soul to you. Hear me, because in you I take shelter. When he says, when I lift up my soul to you, that means lift it up upon the altar. Hear me, for you are my God. Hear me for your name's sake. Hear me for your righteousness' sake. And hear me, for I am your servant. In the previous services, we had already studied the nature of the first argument that abided in David's heart. This was evidence that faithfulness and righteousness abided in David's heart. This served as legal grounds for God, giving God the ability to hear David and to stand on the side of David in his oppositions against his enemies. And we stopped to study the second argument. This is the presented by David evidence that in his heart, the memories of the days of old were imprinted and all the deeds that God had done in those old days. Based on the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we began to study the form of this evidence in the breastplate of judgment of the high priest. This item is a unique and continual memorial before God, identifying with itself continual prayer. The breastplate of judgment was created and served only one item. This was the Urim and the Thummim within the heart of a man, the presence of which allowed God to hear man and allowed man to hear God. Therefore, to be heard by God in the revelations of his Urim, that is the Holy Spirit, it was necessary to keep within your mind the works of God that he had done in the days of old, his Thummim. In other words, in the teaching of Jesus Christ, the breastplate of judgment as a continual memorial before God is a sacral symbol of the format of continual prayer, providing God grounds to fulfill His will upon planet Earth. Therefore, prayer that does not satisfy the requirements and characteristics of the breastplate of judgment does not have the right to be called prayer. 
or at least the prayer of a priest. And further, a person praying such a prayer does not have the right to be called a warrior in prayer, therefore also does not have the right to approach God as an intercessor. As only the format of continual prayer presented in the breastplate of the high priest gives us the right to come close to God and enter into his holy place as a king and a priest to present intercession that pursues the interests of his will. Here is how Apostle Paul presents the nature of the breastplate of judgment symbolizing continual prayer in his books. Colossians 4.2 Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And here it means, this, is, this shows the state of the heart of a person with the breastplate of judgment. Continuing earnestly in prayer identifies a joyously burning lamp, identifying the condition of the righteous heart of a man. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Proverbs 13:9. put out is uprooted or destroyed. The order in which the breastplate of judgment was built identified and enjoined the demands of spirit and truth that the true worshipers of God, whom God seeks, need to be in accordance to and need to possess. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and so if He is seeking them, that means He has not yet found His rest. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 23, 24. And so when He finds the sufficient number of worshipers, then will He find His rest in them and they in Him. If the building order of the breastplate of judgment is inter interfered, the breastplate of judgment loses its nature and its purpose. The breastplate of judgment identifies the state of the heart of a worshiper. Worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth includes not peddling with the truth when pursuing the goals that God has placed in Scripture, as people have done at all times and many do today because of their stiff neck and to benefit their greed and hypocrisy. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Second Corinthians 2.17. In the Septuagint, the breastplate of judgment is called the sign of justice, as by the means of the Urim and Thummim that is contained in the breastplate of judgment, God revealed to man his judgments. Symbolically, the breastplate of judgment, as we know, identifies a conscience of a man, purified from dead works upon the tablets of whom, as a signet in the twelve names of the patriarchs, the teaching of Jesus, of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh were imprinted. A conscience purified of dead works with the imprinted faithfulness and righteousness upon its tablets is called to give God the right to function in them and through them upon planet Earth. In a specific format, we have already looked at the measurements and nature of materials with which the breastplate of judgment was built, that we are called to be in accordance to within our spirit, and stop to study the next requirement that shows, you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones, the rows sardius, topaz, and emerald, first row, second row shall be turquoise, sapphire, and diamond, second row, or third row shall be jas ja jacinth, agate, and amethyst, and fourth row shall be beryl, onyx, and jasper, they shall be set in gold settings, and the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engraving of a signet, each one with its own name, they shall be according to the twelve tribes, Exodus 28:17 And so these names uh, contain destinies for God's nation. 
We have noted that the 12 golden settings in the, is the authority, rule, and order of the Word of God contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh that we as worshipers of God are called to present within the foundation of our continual prayer. We need to prayer, pray such a prayer. The twelve precious stones with engraved upon them as a signet names of the sons of Israel is a symbol and format of our continual prayer, presenting the perfect judgments of God. From this we can see that it wasn't the golden settings being the truth of the Word of God that were adjusted in measurement and configuration to fit the precious stones, but the precious stones themselves, being our prayers, are the ones that were adjusted and configured to fit the golden settings of truth. So every time when we as priests and kings come into God as warriors in prayer, we need to adjust our prayers so that they be in accordance to the measurements of the Word of God, that, they, that it be His prayer and present His interests and not our own personal interests. Continual prayer in the twelve precious stones of the breastplate of judgment with the twelve names is a persisting prayer that in its intercession presents the interests of the will of God and does not sway away or step away from the goal until what is asked for is received. Building of the breastplate of judgment within our heart is revealed as building the kingdom of heaven in the image of the tree of life. Growing the tree of life within our heart is building ourselves up into a new person, created in accordance to God, in righteousness and holy truth, into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. With this we note that all the beauty and order of the temple was created for one holy item and served that one item. This was the golden ark of the covenant. The same thing with the ephod of the high priest, with the connected to it breastplate of judgment, it was created for and served only one holy item. This was very accurately called to duplicate and fulfill the function of the golden ark. This was the Urim and the Thummim. Because the golden ark of the covenant as well as the breastplate of judgment symbolized from different angles and with various purposes, the conscience of a man cleansed from dead works. Urim and Thummim in Hebrew means light and perfection, light and the right and revelation and truth. That is how the Holy Spirit is called, who carries the revelations, the light. And as the truth of God, the teaching is perfection, the light reveals this perfection, God's truth. The Ten Commandments inside the Ark of the Covenant is the truth. It symbolized Christ. And this truth in the breastplate of judgment is the Thummim, symbolizing the teaching of Christ. The light revelation that a person could receive at the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, also known as the Mercy Seat, is, is the Urim and the Breastplate of Judgment. This is the Holy Spirit. A worshiper of God is a person who has a wise heart, upon the tablets of whom the truth in the form of the Thummim is imprinted, within the boundaries of which the Urim in the form of the Holy Spirit could reveal the mysteries of the Thummim. I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you, Exodus 31, 6. And so again and again, I want to say that possibly someone will hear me if you cannot identify the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, then in your heart, you don't have that truth. You have slogans or other partial truths there, but 
God can't see you as wise, and the Holy Spirit can't be sent with his revelation. Yes, you speak in tongues, but speaking in tongues does not give you any revelation. You can't be edified and can't grow from that revelation. Speaking in tongues, you cannot grow not having the truth, not having that revelation inside of yourself, the teaching of Jesus Christ. God calls such a person as unwise or foolish. It may sound offensive, but if you will understand that if you don't have the teaching and if you're in a mausoleum or some kind of club that is called maybe by a very nice name, hope or love of God or whatever you call it, but if you don't have the teaching in your church about the teaching of the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, then you need to run from these kind of establishments and look for where the truth of God is preached, the teaching of Jesus Christ, and you can only receive it by the preached word about the kingdom of heaven and only in the church. We note that the friendship of the Thummim and Urim in the heart of a person is a unification of the two formats of wisdom, which state that the carriers of the Thummim and the Urim are true worshippers of God and possess the immune system of the Holy Spirit. It's very dangerous to rise your finger against those again that carried this Urim and Thummim. And of Levi he said, Levi, his destiny or the definition of his name is binded to God. Let your Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massa and with whom you contended at the waters of Meribah, who says of his father and mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his own brothers or know his own children. He died for his nation, for his house, and for his soul. For they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless this substance, Lord, and accept the works of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise up against him, and of those who hate him, that they rise not again. Deuteronomy 33, 8-11. Proclaiming this prophecy, Moses confirmed it, and it today is active. In a specific format, we've already looked at five qualities of a warrior in prayer in the first five precious stones of the breastplate of judgment by which God was able to continuously reveal his will upon planet Earth and stop to study the sixth quality and the precious diamond stone. We know that the sixth name carved upon the precious diamond stone upon the breastplate of judgment of our heart is the sixth name of Jacob Naphtali, which means wrestler one who prevails in prayer, one who allows God to pray with him. And Rachel's maid Bela conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Genesis 37 and 8. The name of God presented in the precious diamond stone according to the Jewish rabbinate is El Hai in Hebrew, which when translated means God is alive. Therefore, according to the definition of the name Naphtali upon the precious diamond stone, we can see that the function of the sixth principle as a format of continual prayer is our right and our ability to allow the Holy Spirit to abide with us in our prayer battles against the powers of hell which confront us when we fulfill the will of God by the name of the living God.
But the Lord is the true God, He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth will tremble, and the nation shall not endure His indignation. Jeremiah 10.10 the name of the living God is a format of an oath and the category of the nation that had not learned to swear by the, li by the living God or swore falsely were utterly destroyed. This is written in Jeremiah 12, 16, 17, and it shall be if they will learn carefully the ways of my people to swear by my name as the Lord lives, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be established in the midst of my people, but if they do not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, says the Lord. So to not be plucked up and destroyed by the wrath of the living God, it is necessary to learn the ways of the nation of God, to swear by the name of God El Hai or by the living God. These ways are the paths of the commandments and statutes of God. The conditions that give us the right to learn the ways or paths of God's commandments and statutes, to swear by the name of the living God, is the thirst to know them. Here's how David speaks of this, Psalm 119, 32 through 35. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. That is, when my heart begins to bear fruit, will I receive the ability and opportunity to run the course of your commandments or walk them. Teach me, O Lord, the ways of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. In other words, send me a person that would be able to explain your statutes to me. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. We know that in Hebrew, the name of God, El Hai, means abiding, who is, with unconditional authority, one who defines the Genesis, creates the Genesis, holds the Genesis, keeps the Genesis, rules over the Genesis, and is commander and lord of the Genesis. Deuteronomy 10, 20, and 21, it says, You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast, and take oath in his name. In other words, a person can't swear by the name of the living God if he does not have the fear of the Lord, if he is not serving the one God but other gods as well, and if he has not clinged to him, he does not hold fast to him. He is your praise and he is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. The power of a warrior in prayer contained within the virtue of the name of the living God is called to present the unlimited power of God over the Genesis in the allotted by him for us, time and boundaries. Therefore, it is necessary for us to look at and determine what goal God has in his intentions when he urges and calls his children to become warriors in prayer. Also in what way and upon what conditions is God able and desires to give man the right to become a warrior in prayer so that man may present the interests of God and implement his inheritance in God. Per the definitions provided in scripture to be a warrior in prayer is the legal and privileged inheritance of holy men of all days. This is their primary or first most purpose that is revealed in their calling to trample upon uncleanness and the unclean in their prayer battles. 
This is one of the greatest positions that is gifted by God to man, in which a person becomes a king and a priest to God, and is seen by God as a brilliant stone or the diamond stone with the name of Naphtali. Not being a king and a priest to God, and the virtues of which a person receives the unique ability and right to reign with his informational organ over his emotional organ, it is impossible to be and remain a warrior in prayer. We know that the informational organ is called to reign over the emotional aspect of the soul. This is the renewed mind of man renewed by the mind of Christ. The prayer of a warrior in prayer is a sacral or holy mystery that has an unearthly genesis. Specifically, the format of prayer satisfies the requirements of the breastplate of judgment called to identify the perfection of God and man. By its nature, the genesis of prayer as well as the genesis of God does not have a beginning and an end. Prayer is the language of God, identifying the essence of God, the word of God, and his genesis. Prayer has always been the mystery of God, as it has always existed in his presence, as his golden scepter of favor, which is stretched forth to the one that would seek his face in performing his will. If, however, anyone dared come to him upon his own personal conditions not being called into his presence, then God's, God's golden scepter of favor would not stretch out to the one who is asking. And the result of these things would be that God would not hear their prayers and does not hear them today. John 9.31 Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. The right to come close to and stand before God in prayer is the exclusive prerogative of God. No one will be able to or will dare by themselves come close to or approach God, the God that desires to abide in darkness or in mystery or in the unapproachable light. This is how Prophet Jeremiah 30, 21, 22 reveals who can come close to God or approach God. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledges his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. When this governor that you follow will draw near to me, then I shall be your God. To come close to or approach God is the task of one governor that will come from and already came from the nation's seed of Abraham. This is the only begotten Son of God and the status of the Son of Man, in whom and by whom anyone born from God and seeking God would be able to approach and enter into his presence. According to the revelations written in Scripture, our prayer in the quality of a warrior in prayer, identified by the virtue of the brilliant diamond stone, as well as the other stones we've been studying, needs to be continual, persistent, diligent, with boldness, with reverence, with faith of your heart, with thanksgiving, with joy, in the fear of the Lord, in the Holy Spirit, or praying in tongues. In the previous service, we, in a specific format, have already looked at the seven components of continual prayer and stopped to study the eighth component. This is the fruit of joy. We've noted that the fruit of joy in the heart identifies the state of a heart of a warrior in prayer, as well as the quality of the prayer of this warrior as well. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs 17:22. Therefore, one of the signs by which we need to determine the presence of joy that comes from above will be a merry heart that will serve as a medicinal substance, healing and restoring and repairing his faith and his trust in God.
We know that a broken spirit is a symbol of a hard heart that is directed by the pride of his unrenewed mind, where there is an absence of an atmosphere of upright joy, one depriving God of grounds or foundation to do good and to heal this person. We conclude that in Scripture, the quality and character that is included in the word joy, as well as the previous qualities, is prescribed in prayer as a commandment, as a decree and order, and as an urgent military command that is to be fulfilled without deviation. If this order is not fulfilled, the verdict is death or final split or break of your relationship contained in the covenant you made with God. Apostle Jude, concluding his short book to the Church of Christ, gave the quality of joy its own elevation and rank as an integral part of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, Jude 124. Looking at the above-mentioned place of Scripture, we can conclude that for God, fault or blemish in joy is an absence of a foundation, keeping us from stumbling into perdition to present us before His glory. The glory of God abides exclusively in the atmosphere of upright joy and is an expression of this upright joy. Blemishes or sin in joy is a stain or flaw revealing impurity, abomination and deceit. A person who has not rid himself of such blemishes and joy, as well as in all of his other characteristics, will not be allowed in heaven into salvation, but there shall be by no means enter anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written into the Lamb's Book of Life, Revelation 21:27, Determining the wellspring of unearthly joy and the existing in this joy natural qualities, we conclude that upright joy in prayer can come only from an upright heart of a man. The heart expresses this upright joy. Our words and our actions manifest this state of upright joy. If within our heart we will abide within the atmosphere of upright joy, then our prayers will express this joy. We need to differentiate earthly or regular joy from joy that is supernatural. The supernatural joy has its distinctive roots in God, its distinctive wellspring in God, and its distinctive genesis in God. By themselves, the two natures of joy are two programs that come from different nature springs, God and the fallen cherubim. The heart of a man as a programmable system and the nature of joy to which man gives his consideration or preference dresses him and rules in his essence. And if we consider or prefer earthly joy, then it, from one side, will be the means we measure our relationship with God, and from the other side will be suppressing and oppressing supernatural joy. If we will consider the joy that comes from above, then it also will be the means by which we measure our relationship with God. Due to its supernaturalism, unearthly joy is not able to be experienced or felt upon the level of our physical abilities. As unlike worldly joy, it isn't a kind of emotion or a kind of feeling that lifts our mood. Supernatural joy is a kind of discipline of the mind and heart, which creates peace in the heart of a man, as well as balances and controls and leads our feelings. And when these feelings will be restrained with the discipline of the renewed mind and will of man, then his feelings will be able to experience the good and the medicine of his joyful heart, which is the wellspring of unearthly joy directed towards eternal life. Therefore, upright joy as a component of prayer is the confession of the faith of the heart, confessing who God is to us in Christ Jesus and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus.
And such confession of the faith of the heart and power will be equal to the power of the words that come out of the mouth of God. Turning our attention to the unique wisdom of Scripture in defining unearthly joy, we've decided to look at the virtue of upright joy only within the heart of a man, born from the imperishable seed of the word of truth, abiding within Christ. The example and criteria identifying the quality and nature of upright joy is God himself. Therefore, this upright joy is not only the quality of God and the atmosphere in which God abides, it is also one of the glorious names with which he triumphs over his enemies. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I, I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 43, 4-5. And to determine the essence of supernatural joy as well as the conditions that we <coughs> need to fulfill to grow and demonstrate its virtue in our prayers, we have been looking at four aspects. These are defining the essence and purpose of the fruit of joy, the price of obtaining and expressing the fruit of joy, keeping and developing the fruit of joy, and the fruits and rewards for demonstrating upright joy in prayer. In a specific format, we have already looked at the first three questions. Therefore, we'll immediately turn to look at the uh, the third question, we, what conditions do we need to fulfill to keep and increase the fruit of joy in our prayer? First component contained, we have been studying the three uh, components contained in keeping and developing the fruit of joy and will uh, first mention these for, uh, three that we've already studied and will continue then studying the fourth. First component contained in keeping and developing the fruit of upright joint prayer is the sanctification of our all-capturing redemption, capturing the spirit, soul, and body. Second component contained in keeping and developing the fruit of upright joint prayer is celebrating the Feast of Booths. Third component contained in keeping and developing the fruit of upright joint prayer is the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, offering great sacrifices, first fruits, and tithes. And fourth component contained in keeping and developing the fruit of upright joint prayer is obtain, obtaining the lawful right to avenge ourselves over our enemies, these enemies being the carnal sinful beginning in man and the supporting of it unclean and lawless men. Esther 8, 9 through 17. <clears throat> so the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Savan, on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps and the governors and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. And he wrote it in the name of of King Artaxerxes sealed it with this king's signet ring and sent letters by couriers on horseback riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. By these letters the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. No one, no one day <coughs> in all the provinces of King Artisers. On the thirteenth day and on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, <clears throat> a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published 
for all people, so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened, and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan the citadel. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every prov uh, province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews, because fear of the Jews fell upon them. <coughs> we need to immediately note that there is a big difference between those enemies that we need to avenge ourselves and those enemies that we need to forgive and bless. For example, not looking at the fact that sometimes those of our house are enemies, we are called to bless them. People of this world are our enemies, but we also need to bless them because they do not know God. Continuing, we need to bless those Christians that are spiritual infants that resist the truth because they are not able to compare spiritual things with spiritual and consider them foolishness. We do not have the right to bless our sinful nature as well as those people that are unclean and lawless that got to know the truth but afterwards yet again began to crucify in themselves the Son of God and resist, and resist them. And understandably, we do not have the right to bless the world of fallen angels that are under the heavens, on earth, and in hell. We are called to avenge ourselves on these enemies, our sinful nature, people that are unclean and lawless, and the world of fallen angels. Therefore, if we want to abide in upright joy, we need to demonstrate vengeance over the enemies of the Jews to, the, to rejoice with the Jews. If you paid attention, the fortress city, Shushan, which means lily, consisted of only Jews, all from the 12 different tribes of Israel. And the reason they are called Jews was because of the name of the faith teaching that the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel followed. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, inwardly, and circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Romans 2.28-29 This is not being from the line of, of Judah, but the faith teaching. We more than once spoke about the fact that Judaism is the teaching of being born from the seed of the word of truth that came to, the, to Israel from the Garden of Eden, from the forefather of all men, Adam. As if, if Adam would not have received the preached by God word of truth about being born again in the Garden of Eden, then, and this was in the cool of the day, God would not have had grounds to dress him in animal skins of redemption. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also, whom he begot also loves him who is begotten of him. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. 1 John 5, 1 through 4. Therefore, in the presented event, Haman symbolizes our sinful man, the friends of Haman, and 
and others that hate the Jews and supporting the ideas of Haman symbolize people that are unclean and lawless, inspired by the jealousy and hatred of fallen angels. The word Artaxerxes is not the name of the king, but his title, which means great king or king of kings. He symbolizes God. Mordecai is a symbol of the word of God that comes out of the mouth of God. Queen Esther or Hadassah is a symbol of the bride of the Lamb. The Jews is a symbol of the saved nations. When Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white with a great crown of gold and garment of fine linen and purple, then the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. At that time, the Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. And there happened the work of great evangelism. Many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Here's how this event is reflected. This was the true evangelism. Many of the nations, uh, people of the nations became Jews. They received the teaching of Judaism, were born from God. If you can imagine when the people of this world will have fear from the fear of the people that are uh, dressed into their new person, here's how this event is reflected in the revelation of Apostle Paul or Apostle John. Revelation 3, 8 through 13. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Here he who overcomes will become a pillar in the temple of God, and he shall go out no more. And he will not make a, a, this person a pillar in heaven, in his temple, but here on earth <clears throat> and he will not go out anymore I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and I will write on him my new name he who is an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches when Jesus gave his disciples power to trample upon serpents and, and scorpions and all the power of the enemy, he said to them, nothing shall by any means hurt you. He demonstrated the symbol of Mordecai that came out from the king. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In the hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Luke 10, 17 through 21. He called his disciples 
children uh, in the situation. Comparing the given event with the event that happened in the fortress city of Shushan, the word of Jesus, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The joy of Jews in the fortress city of Shushan can be interpreted. Do not rejoice that you can avenge yourselves on your enemies, but rejoice that you are Jews. Therefore, if we, for the reason of some kind of made-up prelogues, will refuse to avenge ourselves on our enemies, who are also the enemies of Artaxerxes, that is the Lord, then we will share the destiny of the enemy. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Matthew 12, 30. The fifth component contained in keeping and developing the fruit of upright joy in prayer is the state of the heart of the righteous one who knows the bitterness of his soul and the stranger does not share his joy. Proverbs 14.10, the heart knows its own bitterness and a stranger does not share its joy. According to the above-read place of Scripture, we conclude that from one side, the joy of the righteous is the result of the bitterness of his soul. From the other side, that the joy became possible because no one shared the bitterness of his soul with him, therefore does not share in his joy. We know that in Scripture the word bitterness is implied as a verdict of death that is not able to be removed or canceled. For example, when prophet Isaiah saw the glory of God and in disappointment shouted out, Woe to me! The phrase, Woe to me, in Hebrew means I am broken as a clay pot and I am not able to be put together again or restored. Or when the Scripture proclaimed the verdict to the scribes and Pharisees saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! Then there what it is saying is that they are not able to be renewed with repentance and they are not able to be reconciled to God. The word stranger in Hebrew means bystander, hater. At the same time, the verb does not share, identifying the stranger means will not sponsor for, will not be entrusted to, will not stick up for, will not be will not be given guarantee by this other, will not conform or communicate with, will not unite or make a deal with, will not pay his debt for for him, will not mix with or intervene, will not share in the sorrow or joy. According to the given intrigue, this proverb signifies that the joy of the righteous can be shared with him by a close one that is in the union with him, shared his bitterness with with him and knows the bitterness of his heart, and sticks up for him in the bitterness of his heart and becomes a sponsor for him and trusts himself and paid his debt for him. At the same time, the stranger was the reason for his bitterness. We need to ask the question, what does it mean? The bitterness of the soul of the righteous, overcoming it <clears throat> he can keep and increase the joy of salvation and who can be this uh, neighbor or close one who can share this bitterness with him and pay his debt for him and who is the stranger also who does not intervene into the joy of the righteous as he did not share in the bitterness of his soul I trust that you are already guessing that the bitterness of the soul that the righteous experiences is the loss of his soul and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ where the righteous died for his nation for his house and for his corrupt desires the stranger that can't be a friend and would not stick up for him or pay his debt for him 
is the sinful man that the unclean and lawless support that are inspired by the jealousy of the fallen cherubim and all of the organized powers of hell. The joy of the soul we see as resurrection of our soul, resurrection of Christ that we see here in the proverb as the close one, uh, the one that's close to us. Mark 8, 35, 36, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own, his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8, 8, 35 through 37. From this place of scripture, we could see that losing your own soul and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ is casting off the old man with his deeds. And uh, obtaining your soul is, we see here, as the new person who has risen from the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Summing up this proverb, or the meaning of this proverb, if a person died for his nation, for his house, and for his corrupt desires, then he will never be able to keep from if he will not die for his nation house and and his personal desires then he will never be able to keep uh, an increase unearthly joy and this person then even with all of his good work and all his religious works will be gathering for himself wrath for the day of judgment. The sixth component contained in keeping and developing the fruit of upright joy in prayer is the ability to perform the peace of God. Proverbs 12.20 Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. In Hebrew, the word one who devises evil is a person who is active and takes part in evil work and sees these evil works and considers them as righteous works. One who devises evil is one who is bad, rotten, ill-fated or accursed, one who is ruinous, one who is evil, perverse and corrupt, unrighteous, one who is foul, crafty and filthy, replacing the truth with deception but sees himself as righteous. And amongst the nation of God, there are more of these. Only the small flock uh, are not like this, but the multitude that have the look of righteousness but have denied God's power. The reason for why these ones who devise evil see themselves as good and righteous is because he's deceived by his own mind, where he tries to follow scripture and sees himself in a false light. And so when the scriptures call the heart of the one who devises evil as, uh, as crafty, he does not see these, this craftiness and evil in himself, but the ones that are righteous. Deceit is the deception of the mind, relying upon the abilities of the intellect. It's also a lie, a betrayal, craftiness, slyness, a conflict and dispute. The thing is, the work of the peace of God that we're talking about is the work of righteousness and is a component of the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is not food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so if the righteous has joy, then that means in the righteous the righteous in his heart is the kingdom of heaven but the one who devises evil doesn't have it according to this place of scripture to be perform peace 
and be in this peace, you need to have this peace with God that is obtained by the righteousness of faith based upon a covenant with God. If a person thinks that he has peace with God, but at the same time accepts and passes on bad information about his neighbor and is also a carrier and spreader of all kinds of false information and suspicion against others <clears throat> means that he is not a son of peace but is a uh, one who devises evil and this one cannot be called the son of God because blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5.9 And so according to this commandment if a person has not entered into the inheritance of peace by the means of the righteousness of faith by knowing the truth the soil of his heart will belong to the devil and he will never be able to then bear fruits of upright joy people who trust upon the abilities of their intellect in studying the scriptures although they call themselves sons of God are seen in accordance to scripture as sons of the sons of the devil because their God is pride the pride of their uh, human intellect they resist uh, the truth <coughs> the preached word uh, from God's delegation then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him if you abide in me in my word and you are my disciples indeed <coughs> and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free they, if you pay attention here, however much you may pray, in tongues you will not know the truth. The truth is known by the preached word. And for this reason you need to be a student. They answer to him, we are the Abraham's descendants and have never been a bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? They were uh, slaves of Rome at the time, but they say we've never been slaves. Jesus meant not that they were serv servants of Rome but, or slaves of Rome, but slaves of sin. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in, ha in the house forever, but a, s a son abides forever. And so he t they tell told him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? And they were uh, not understanding his speech. The reason because you are the not able to listen to my words you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks a lie he speaks from his own resources but he is a liar and the father of it but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Summing up the given component, we conclude that keeping and developing the fruit of joy is only a, a peace that is performed within the boundaries of holiness and is the demonstration of holiness. Why do peop are people not able to hear the truth? Because they communicate with people that you can't communicate with, where it says, keep away from, avoid. They say, well, these are my friends, these, they're Christians, they, but we need to love everyone. Jesus says, that's why you cannot hear my word, my voice. <coughs> 
that you don't have the ability. Why can you not hear my message? Because you are not able to hear my voice. Why people hear the same truth? Certain people understand it and rejoice, and others say, I don't understand anything. Some people leaving the church after 20 years say, I don't understand anything anymore. Then why are you sitting here 20 years and not understanding anything? What were you doing here then 20 years? And they would not, never have left if God would not have brought his acts by his angels. Not a single one of them wanted to leave. Each one attempted with all of everything they had to hold because they understood that something unusual is happening, supernatural is happening. Each one of you have experienced something supernatural. I still am surprised with all of us. God allowed us to remain. We were not cast out. This gives us the opportunity to very seriously treat their spoken word, to look upon it, to meditate, uh, meditate about it, to pray. Time is going by. See how many people left. How many people, thousands, have passed through this church? Almost all people uh, that are in Portland and other Russian churches anyway were at least in our church once. There are also people that sympathize and look at us. They look. Some look with sorrow, thinking that we have been buried, and they truly buried us, but, and, God, and God allowed them to bury us. And they, with sorrow, as those two disciples, what a wonderful church it was buried. They don't know that resurrection is close. I understand that we uh, continue still remain in this uh, cliff of the rock. You may experience uh, almost death, the not desire to go to church do something uh, with difficulty, uh, studying the scriptures in difficulty, because you're still in the death, you're still in the death of Christ. It's not in resurrection yet. You confess it, the resurrection as the truth, as the seed, but it hasn't dressed you or me yet. And as I saw in the vision that the Lord showed, I was laying upon the in a, laying down and the old flesh uh, showed uh, showed its face to me and stretched out its hand to me for support and I refused to take it I was laying on my back and waiting I was in the morgue and the Lord said my bride is all here right now in this place where you're laying 
And when I lead her out, when I remove the stone, then the guard that protects you will become greatly afraid. As it happened with Jesus, when the stone was removed and the angels appeared, they shall see. That's why they will see that the Lord loved you. Right now, we are still no different except that we preach what they do not preach. To them, that is not valuable. For them, what's valuable is evangelism, perverting of all sorts of truth, they run wherever they're going. In Scripture, out of the thousands, one or two would be selected for this work of evangelism, and they were generally apostles, uh, and then they would go evangelize, and it was by the blessing of the church. Today, uh, two to three month courses, and they think they're ready for evangelism. We gather and continue to study the scriptures, submerging to the same. In the beginning, I'm, I'm always uh, something new. If I'm presenting something new, I'm always connecting it to the root, to the uh, basis of the things we've been studying. So we understand that being dressed into the new person is the most unique and greatest revelation of the last days. The scriptures are filled with this truth. And the, if the Lord doesn't fulfill this truth, then he had suffered in vain. If we don't see this in our bodies, then he suffered in vain. I mean the church of Jesus. In the body, she needs to be dressed into her new person. This is God's will. We need to not to finally be dressed into the new person to be free of, of sickness and aging and so forth, but to allow the Lord to rejoice. He redeemed the spirit, soul, and body. He redeemed them. He has already redeemed them, but he can't do anything without our help. The person that needs to give him grounds for these things, and this grounds is the faith of the heart that we will confess with our mouth, something that is not yet seen. We confess what is not yet seen. I will ask everyone, continue to thank God. Thank him for dressing you into the new body, into the new person your new person and has cast off the old person from you. Someone may be afraid that their nature is revealing itself. God will help you cast it off and will dress you into the new person. Right now, we're going to bend our knees and we will pray and thank God that he is on our side and he is with us. He will absolutely dress us into the new person. May his word be praised, glorified within us and through us. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I worship together with your people upon this holy place 
that your hand has appointed for the worshiping of your name, for the praising of your holy name. Upon this place we proclaim your great words, your mighty words, that you are vigilant over that they be fulfilled. And we believe that you will fulfill them upon this place and upon other places as well that we do not know, that you have also concealed from the whole world because no one can penetrate the depths of the things which are of the death of Jesus. No one can be submerged into it unless and except for the one that you will call out from death to dress her into the resurrection of your Son. May your word be blessed. May your Holy Spirit be blessed. May your holy people be blessed. Your chosen ones from the multitude of the called to salvation. May your mercy and glory be upon your sons and daughters. May these words reach those people that in spirit have become one but maybe not here presently with us because due to specific reasons you hold them in at a distance but you are beginning to gather the weeds and will gather then your wheat as well. When you gather your wheat into your barns, then we will meet with those that we don't yet know, but are with us in spirit. And as we are, they are waiting to be dressed into their new person. May your mercy be upon your nation, your greatness. May it be upon your sons and daughters. May the Lord rejoice about his children that in perseverance wait until you show your great glory. We thank you that you give us strength and the ability to overcome all difficulties and sorrows. There are a lot of sorrows the righteous one may endure, but you will allow them to overcome all of them when we walk upon the new paths. We glorify your holy name. We lift you up in your, in your temple where you desire to dwell. May your glory be blessed upon this place. May the unclean be drove, driven out from your presence. May they be judged to hell. And may the horns of the righteous be lifted up. May they rise from the death of your son and be dressed into the resurrection of your son so that you may bring peace to your heart. Your blessing, may it come down upon your people. Glory to your holy name. Your blessing may not depart from your people. 
May weakness and sicknesses be cursed before your face because it is the result of sin, result of death that you have overcome upon Golgotha. You resurrected and you now celebrate. Allow us to take this celebration into our spirit and celebrate in you until you dress us into what we're confessing with our mouths because you will dress us into the confessions of our faith and we I thank you Father of heaven and earth I continually meditate about this I submerge into your words I rejoice in your words as one who has received something great I thank you for this wealth for this privilege, for this beauty, for this greatness. I worship before you and I glorify you. Glory to your holy name. Abba Father. Come, Lord, come. Do not keep your mercy back. Crush the head of the unclean and the lawless and protect the righteous one. May your mercy be before us. Strike the loins of one who rises up against us. Glory to your holy name. Glory to your mercy. Hallelujah to you. Allow us to rise, allow us to appear before your glory. We thank you, Father. We entrust our spirit, our soul, and our bodies into your hands that no one will be able to take from and we worship before you our great God, Son and Holy Spirit Amen Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever Amen